0: Welcome to the day two podcast. Today's episode, regaining brand control in the digital age with Whitney Gibson. I feel calls like this every week from exasperated brand owners who say, I can't control my brand on Amazon. It's a mess. Sellers I've never heard of are undercutting my price and trashing my brand and listings. And frankly, I just give up. I hear this week in and week out. The struggle is real, but today's guest, Whitney Gibson, is a pioneer in laying the foundation and legal strategy behind helping brands regain control of their brand on Amazon and online. Welcome to the Day 2 Podcast, where we give you the unfiltered truth to launch, grow, and protect your brand on Amazon and beyond. I'm Jason Boyce, founder and CEO of Avenue 7 Media, co-author of the Amazon Jungle, now available on Audible, and the host of the day two podcast. I'm thrilled to have with me today, Whitney Gibson, partner and leader of Voris eControl. Whitney, it's been a while since we've spoken. How have you been?
1: Doing great, doing great. Thanks for having me and uh, yeah, excited to uh, tackle these issues here with you today.
0: I, I imagine uh, that the Amazon channel control problem has been keeping you busy, um, <laughs> uh, Whitney. T- tell me, let's start. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, how do you go from law school to getting involved in channel control with Amazon? Tell us what that path looks like.
1: Yeah, so uh, no problem. So yeah, I I came to a pretty large law firm, uh, Boris Sader Seymour and Pease. Uh, and was uh, an associate at the law firm. And I started working on internet related issues, uh, helping people with people with internet defamation to internet IP infringement. And as I was working in the area, started to see requests come in from brands that were really having problems from Unauthorized sales of their products on the marketplaces, eBay and Amazon at the time. And what I started to hear from the business leaders, some of the first ones came in actually the uh, beauty space and dermatology brands. And they said, look, a lot of the dermatologists and physicians that we're selling to are really starting to complain that when they sell our products to patients, and then they can pull up and say, look, this product's available cheaper online. It really makes us look bad. And we really want to get control over this in large part because of the, we want to preserve the relationships with the people with whom we sell our products. And so when I did that, um, you know, I'd already sort of developed a belief that uh, dealing with issues online really required a combination of legal data, technology, investigation, and started to look at this particular problem of unauthorized sales of products on the internet and and developed what we call at VORI, just basically an integrated solution where we pulled together some distribution lawyers, uh, some people on our technology team, we hired an investigator and created their first version of the enforcement team and put together an end-to-end solution to help businesses deal with these unauthorized sellers online and really had a lot of success early on with some of the beauty brands. And then from there, started to get into the direct selling industry. And a lot of the people that they sell to that would go in and sell their products were really complaining to the brand about these unauthorized sales online. And from there, it really spiraled and we developed a whole category that we now call e-control it's cited by foresters and many others at a unique category and you know what i really realized you know brand protection as that term was defined was really as the internet sort of grew brand the brand protection industry was how can i monitor around the internet and marketplaces and find an infringement find a ip violator or find a counterfeiter As i dug into this problem yeah that causes some disruption but really The bigger culprit and cause of the brand's problems was prior to the age of e-commerce, they distributed their products broadly and widely. And as e-commerce and Amazon grew and the marketplaces grew, they really took advantage of that broad and wide uncontrolled distribution to really populate the third-party marketplaces with all different sellers. And I developed a theory that the brands in this new age of e-commerce, marketplaces, transparency, price matching, they're going to have to have tighter controls over the distribution and ultimately their channels. So we developed a mission over time to basically be the world leader in helping brands control their channels in the age of e-commerce because these things are so connected. It's controlling their authorized brick and mortar retailer and distribution. It's controlling their online retailers and the pricing. It's controlling the marketplaces and helping them determine who's gonna get the sales and maintaining profitability It's looking at their paid search, so it's really all their different channels. How are they going to gain control on those to ultimately reach their profitability and revenue goals? And that's really the mission of eControl. And you know, there's a lot, there's a lot happened between then. We've worked with over 600 brands now, over 200 billion dollar brands, and it's you know, it's 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 grown like crazy each year. So it's really exciting.
0: What an incredible story, Whitney. What what year roughly did you start to work on this problem with the dermatologists who said that their clients are coming into the office and yelling at them because they can buy it on Amazon. Was it like, were they buying it half off retail price in the locations or how bad was the problem and what year was yeah, it? Yeah,
1: I would say is about 2017, I think is, yeah, about when, 2016, through that right in that area. And if you think about it, it's amazing what how, how fast The Amazon third-party marketplaces is growing. I mean, I think, you know, frankly, I think I got a little lucky in timing too, because, you know, this problem of uncontrolled sales and pricing and all that really has just grown each year since then. And so I was kind of at the right stage of my career where I knew enough on how to solve problems, but I also, um, you know wasn't so set in my ways that i was looking for innovative approaches to new problems so really that 2016 17 is really i saw this this issue started to emerge and there's a ton of confusion and everybody thought hey i need a map policy and that'll solve all my problems but they've tried to do that and then they find that all these unauthorized sellers would just undercut it and everyone would be mad and then people were brand protection companies were scrambling you know, hey, can you remove these for me? But they had no legal basis to be able to really remove the sellers because a lot of it was just authorized gray market. So there was a lot of confusion at the time. No one really had a good solution. And I was also lucky in that really to solve the problems required a combination of I mean, law, data, tech, investigation, all that together. And I was in a firm that really supported bringing in all those different disciplines. I mean, it's funny. Yeah, We're in a law firm, but law is just a, a piece of what we do. I mean, we have a whole in-house investigation. We have a whole data science. We have a whole technology team that's developed the platform. We have enforcement. We have channel management experts. I mean, it's a very multidisciplinary team that uh, that focuses on it. And you know, I was really what was neat is I was with a a, a company that was a pioneer in the skincare industry. And I got to see, you know, they really invested in control and it really brought them a lot of advantages in the market. And and I had talked to other, you know, even CPG companies that had talked about, you know, when I was talking to business leaders and, and I saw how the benefits they were getting from what we were doing, they were saying, this is amazing, like, because I can go out to my brick and mortar uh, retailers. And I can say, look, we have a lot more control. You're not getting undercut on pricing. Give us better shelf space. I can give talking points to my sales team when they go out to all the physicians to say, look, we are a brand. We're not just going to come here and ask you to buy a bunch and undercut you online. We are a brand that's controlled. And then you know, I can get them to buy more. I can get them to pay better prices. So when I saw that in the goodwill of built among all their channel partners, I saw the real power, and then as e-commerce grew and the volume of e-commerce started to grow, now I had multiple stakeholders—not just the brick-and-mortar sales teams, not just the executives, but the e-commerce people—saying, "I, you know, I just got hired to grow a brand on Amazon, and I can't do any of the tactics that I want to do. I can't control the content. I can't. I only get to run the advertising when, uh, when I'm in the buy box, but I'm not in the buy box all the time. Amazon is asking me for chargebacks." So I think, you know, if you ask a lot of the thought leaders out there, I know you and I mean, there's other folks out there that you and I, you know, kind of grew up with in the early ages of e-commerce. You'd ask them, it's almost like control became another. Obviously, there's like the four P's of marketing, you know, the product and placement and price and all those, you know, the four P's. But but I think control became a predicate to all that. And in, in, in e-commerce, like these, these growth Absolutely. agencies are like, if if I don't have control, I cannot I can't run the optimal pricing. I can't place the products where I want. I can't promote it in the way I want. So it really became a pillar, I think, for a lot of e-commerce people. You know, you know when I look at a lot of the thought leaders that you and I know in the industry and came up in the early years, I, I hear them constantly recommend and talking to their brands about just control as being sort of a key pillar to growth.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. We talk about it over here, Whitney, at Av 7 is sort of the blocking and tackling required for success on Amazon. You got to be in stock. You can't let your listings get suppressed for whatever reason. And you need to control the channel. If you can do those three things effectively... It's, it's almost half the battle. I mean, sometimes I say it's a third of the battle, depending on the category, but it really is. And, you know, I, you know speaking of thought leaders in mm-hmm. the space, we should mention, you know, your book mm-hmm. that you co-wrote with our, our friend, James Thompson, mm-hmm. um, Controlling Your Brand in the Age of Amazon. Mm-hmm. I imagine this is a required reading. If it's not, it should be required reading for mm-hmm. every brand owner that's out there. I thought you guys did beautiful work with that book. Thank you. Whitney, y- you see this problem, mm-hmm. You see a specific use case with the client, and by the way, were you their corporate counsel? Were you their? What did they? What 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 did they hire you at the law firm to do for them before you just sort of came up with this solution to solve their other problem that they clearly didn't hire you for, right? Well, I mean, I like I said, I was kind
1: of a general internet-related attorney, and you know, I grew up as I was a marketing major in in uh, undergrad. Okay, and when I got it. i'd read a lot i'd read books about developing business and one of the books i read is playing bigger how to how to define and win your own category and i developed the belief that a lot of the business that were successful it's not about saying you're better hey i'm better than this person it's really creating a new category of which you're going to be a thought leader and i and, and and we really sort of spearheaded this this category of control and So frankly, I started speaking about it and writing about it and just being everywhere. I would go to conferences where we're talking about you know, map. I'd go to e-commerce conferences, go to brand protection conferences. I'd say everybody like, you need to think about this differently. You need to think about controlling your entire channel. And that means what kind of distribution control do you have? What kind of uh, foundation do you have for gray market? How do you use data to figure out truly what's disrupting the channel? So you're not just sitting there playing a bunch of whack-a-mole and just removing stuff that's not really driving your business KPIs. And just basically started obsessing over, over this problem of control uh, and, and and just speaking, writing, and learning. And I mean, 85% of our business today, maybe more, comes from referrals. And like this whole industry where people had really just gone, they would get people to monitor and play whack-a-mole forever. I mean, you know, they, they were... Excited because this actually you know brought brought business solutions. We'd see brands where they're getting ten percent of the sales, then they're getting ninety eight percent of the sales, going out the price they want, and boom, they're taking off. And we repeatedly saw that. Um, you know, my ethics guy would say, "Look, you can't guarantee results," and I, I, I don't guarantee results, but I do think it's a testament. It, it was just fun that basically the people we would work with just started telling everyone, "Hey, this is what you need. This is what you need," and uh, right. that's really what. That's really what caused it to take off.
0: Oh, it's it's fascinating, um, it, it, and and like I said, you you literally wrote the book on this problem just because you had that entrepreneur mindset mindset and went out there and solved it. And you know, I think we've sent you a little bit of business too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great that what you do to to help protect brands because it's a big, big hairy problem. Look, I remember in the early years, I started selling on Amazon in two thousand and three they wanted everyone that they could, they invented the buy box and they wanted everyone they could to attach that listing because it had a downward pressure on retail prices. But obviously if you're a brand and you're trying to maintain your brand integrity and your pricing integrity, you don't want that. Yeah. And you know, we we tell people like you do all the time, you have to be the only seller in your buy box. There's no reason to let anybody else sell. Mm-hmm. If there's another reason that has to do with you getting more business from them in the brick and mortar side, then at least control it. and. You know, but in the United States, Whitney, this thing called the first sale doctrine is out there. And correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't the first sale doctrine say if I buy something for any price, I can resell it to anyone that I want to? And if that's true, how is it that you can still protect brands given that that thing is out there?
1: Yeah, I. I you know, I would say there's there's sort of two ways that we tackle that. I mean, so. When we go and we look, a lot of brands really haven't even thought about how they want to go to market on Amazon. Sometimes they'll have four of their authorized sellers. Sometimes they'll have ten, you know. And and I tell people, look, if you're going to have a bunch of people selling on Amazon and you think you're going to be able to, you know, and they're going to comply with your pricing, that's like leaving my kids alone with iPad and baby and saying don't touch or iPad and candy and saying don't touch either of them. Like it doesn't work. Okay, they're all going to beat each other up on price it's just not going to work. Okay. So you're right. I, I believe in some sort of, you know, picking how you're going to go to market, being deliberate, usually with like an exclusive seller or selling your own. In order to do that, you have to go out and tell your own retailers and distributors, look, you can sell on your own site websites, but you can't sell on the marketplaces. So that's like an authorized reseller program. Most you got to put in the guardrails telling, and even if you sell through distribution, you got to tell them to pass policies down to the people they're selling to. And, and, and do the authorized reseller program. Now the deal the, the gray market, there's sort of two ways. So yes, if someone goes and buy your product, then they're allowed to resell it online. Unless they're selling a product that is outside of your quality controls or is doesn't come with a service or benefit that you provide with the product. So a lot of a lot in the marketplace environment where the customer doesn't really know whether they're getting it from you or Amazon, or they don't even a lot of times know this is some rogue third-party seller over which you have no control. We've established the case law on this, but basically we have numerous court decisions on this, that brand can implement heightened quality controls. Like, look, you know, I only want people that are selling using their authorized names. I want them reporting to me on when they have any problems. I want them, you know, giving their inventory levels to me. I want to be able to Check on them periodically. I want, you know, all these stringent requirements that you put on your authorized seller. And what that frankly does is a lot of these rogue sellers, these gray market sellers, a practical matter, they're not going to comply with those quality controls, you know. And so we have a legitimate basis to be able to go after them under the law. Like I said, there's two main exceptions of the first sale doctor. One's quality control. The other is if you provide some service and benefit and that seller doesn't do that but maybe it's a warranty, maybe it's a satisfaction guarantee, maybe it's a return policy. So that you know that gives you that gives you a legal claim against those sellers who don't comply with that, which is ninety eight percent of them. Then the other thing is, basically, we have a team we call the diversion diagnostics team. But they take data, and it's they take data from you know, Amazon vendor seller central accounts. They take data from the scrape. They take data from Uh, the brand sales records, and they can usually triage exactly where it's coming from. They've done it so much. And so because we have so, and we capture all the data based on the different industries we work in. So we kind of know, like, you know, if you're, if you're, let's say in the grocery space, you have Unify or KE, like there's certain things you got to negotiate with those distributors. If you're, you know, a home goods store, like uh, Home Depot has things in their liquidation practices that you got to make sure that you address. If you're in the cell phone industry, so most of these industries have their root causes. It's not the biggest world to us in the world. Because once we started getting into these industries, we kind of found what the root causes are. And they can usually pretty much that diversion team can say, All right, you need to fix this, this, and this. So, you know, that figuring out the root cause and helping them deal with the issues. Cause because again, like when we 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 call ourselves e control 360 now, and, and a big part of it is. It's it, yes it's it's a balance between doing enforcement, but also figuring out the root cause and making the corrective action, so that you don't, uh, that you don't play whack a mole forever. And the only bad thing about the business sometimes is, we're seeing this in our clients is, we go in once we figure out the root cause and do some enforcement, like the problem's kind of solved. You know, for a lot of our clients, it just they got it and then they can do the maintenance mode on their own, um, and so it's good for the clients, but. But yeah, most of the time, there's a couple things that are going on in their business that just have to be tweaked to fix it. And then, you know, are there onesies, twosies that buy it? Yeah, but we use the data. Like we don't say we don't like say we were going to move every listing, or we're going to move every seller. What we do is we measure how much sales is the authorized seller getting, how much is going out at the price they want, how much buy box are they getting, and we track those KPIs. Then we have insights on who's disrupting those. And it's sort of the 80-20 rule. You know, the top 20% are usually caught in 80% of the problems. Once you fix those, someone that doesn't have experience, someone just goes in a store and buy, they'll never be able to compete with you on the buy box because they're not going to have, even if they price low, they're not going to have the history. They're not going to have the reviews build up. They're not going to have the credibility. So I love, you know, people work with good agencies or people that can help them sell well. They can help them build up a lot of credibility that, frankly, can almost act as a fortress as well to stopping other people getting in the buy box. Does that
0: make sense? Oh, it makes, it makes perfect sense. You, you're, you're putting your, uh, you know, your time where the money is and you're focusing on the, the, the biggest bang for your buck. Uh, it, perfection is, you know, sort of the enemy. Of, we, yeah, good. we call it you impact,
1: know, not, yeah, we call it impact, not activity and
0: impact. not activity, Yeah. And great. I think
1: that I frankly think the brand protection industry is, I think we're in the process of disrupting it, frankly, because we talk to people all the time that have used, hey, I went out and monitored, I monitored everywhere, and they do takedowns on marketplaces, and I get a report saying, here's how many takedown requests they sent, here's how many were removed, and that's it. And I'm like, well, do they tell you what was the impact on your sales? Do they tell you, you know, has has your average selling price gone up? You know, has your percentage of buy box gone up? And the brand protection companies don't do that. And I think, frankly, you know, one of the biggest reasons is is because they just have they don't have any real hammer to be able to deal with it to be able to deal with distribution control to be able to deal with the hardened sellers. So they're almost more focused on the ankle biters. And you know, we yeah. our vision was to build a 360 set of capabilities from legal. You know, we hired five of the best brand protection individuals uh, in the industry from the large brand protection companies investigation, volume enforcement. Because when you have 360 capabilities, then you let the data drive your actions. It's like, I don't care which, I don't care if it's a lawyer, I don't care brands protection. The data will tell me what seller, what type of violation, what's the best action, boom, you apply it. That's that's kind of what is needed as opposed to just going in and saying, I'm just going to try to do takedowns with marketplaces. You'll never get anywhere doing that.
0: Yeah, sure. And there's so many different kinds of sellers on Amazon. You've got the retail arbitragers, you know, you got the RA folks who are getting product either out the back door or through the tent sale and reselling. But you've also got guys who are coming in and gals who are coming in and and charging much more than your retail price. You're not really losing buy box to them. So in that case, you may have a lot of those folks taken down that weren't really impacting to your point in terms of what you call it in house weren't really impacting the business in the first place. So what's the point of, you know, paying for hours and time to do that if it's no impact to your business? Is that kind of in a nutshell what you're saying? Is yeah, you focus on mean, the folks that the are coming Yeah, the way
1: I explain sometimes is, you know, in marketing and advertising, it evolved from sort of junk mail marketing to data-driven precision marketing, right targets, right actions, measurable ROI. That's what we're doing. Yeah here. I mean, we actually, we have an individual now leads our whole data technology team. He spent 20 years at Nielsen and built two big platforms for marketing and advertising uh, companies and basically looked at this industry and said, you know, I want to work with you and Boris to to lead the transformation of in the same way I did in marketing to data-driven precision, like impact, measurable ROI, and all that. And that's, yeah, that's what I think needs to Happen and all that, you know, any, any, in any of these channels and Amazon's obviously the biggest one, but, but, you know, there's only so much budget. You know, I hear from brands all the time, my, who should I focus on? How can I demonstrate the biz to the business that I'm driving ROI? And we like to kind of act as the link between the business and the brand protection. That data sits in the middle to make that connection and then measure the measure, the the sales and revenue as a result.
0: Uh, That's beautiful. You you mentioned that you developed the case law. For laymen out there like me, case law means you filed some lawsuits and one, Tell me more about this case law. And then secondly, what are you most proud of in terms of the work that you've laid the legal foundation for in, in terms of those lawsuits? Yeah. I mean, so
1: there's always been the two exceptions to the first sale doctrine, quality controls and material differences. And a lot of those were built in well, maybe, let's say, somebody is selling a product in another country into the U.S. And we basically, once we developed the quality controls, and the material differences, and applied them, we applied them to the unauthorized sales on Amazon and e-commerce. And then we sued unauthorized sellers, and they, they fought us, and we won. And we got great court decisions, long, lengthy opinions that said, yeah, if you have these quality controls in place and an unauthorized seller sells on Amazon, then it is, as a matter of law, it's a violation of what's known the Lanham Act, but it's a trademark infringement. It falls under the exceptions to the first sale doctrine. And we got, and we've got that both on the quality controls and the material differences. we filed hmm. many, many cases, I don't want to give exact numbers because I don't want to have hyperbole, but I mean, I it's many, many cases across the country we filed. We've established that case law. So now it really benefits the brands that we're with today, because now when we someone says, well, hey, I'm allowed to do some first sale doctor. We say, no, here's the case law. Basically written decisions by a judge saying when somebody does this, it violates the law. And we've gotten several of those that build upon each other. We invested a lot in experts and and. and you know, so so when you think of lawyers, it's like you have a law that says you can't sell outside of the quality controls, or you can't sell a materially different product. We went out and we argued this law prohibits the unauthorized sales on Amazon, and we won. So now we can now we can cite those cases anytime we go after somebody as long as they're set up right.
0: Whitney, it sounds like a nut. That- in that extensive case that like you guys set up, you're, you're really going after the unauthorized sellers suing and winning against them in court. Have you ever taken any of this to Amazon? Because I think, you know, here's here's a great uh, misconception of most brands. I'm brand registered. Amazon's going to take care of my brand. They're going to knock down unauthorized sellers. I hear that a lot. It's not true. But have you at Vori's taken anything to Amazon? And have you found them to be a helpful partner or <laughs> are you on your own with like with most things with Amazon?
1: Honestly, we we have a pretty good relationship with Amazon and I think Amazon likes us because we use brand registry. We use counterfeit takedowns. We use policy takedowns where there's a a, a good foundation. I think what Amazon doesn't like is people that stretch. And there's a lot of lawsuits that are going against, either companies or sellers or even brands that claim something's a counterfeit when they really don't have the evidence, when they claim it's a policy violation, what happens is people go in, they say, hey, I'm going to get all this stuff taken down for you. I'm going to go to Amazon. And they get partway in and they realize most of it's gray market distribution, but they want that contract. So they start claiming, well, it's counterfeit. Well, it's this to keep the client. Well, there's plaintiff lawyers out there that are suing people like that Amazon, they don't always catch wind, but at some point, this is what I learned in the early days of the internet. Any gimmick tactic you have with Google, Facebook, Amazon, they will figure it out at some point, right? Like you just can't, like like you may get away with it for a while, but don't build a business on it. Don't build a strategy on it. Like if you think, oh, I found that, I I got them. They're taking this down for, you know, like like there was a gimmick. Someone came to me and said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just throw a sticker on my product. And I'm going to put it on a different ASIN and say that all the other products are really different. And anybody who sells on it doesn't have that sticker. I'll just remove them saying it's not the same product, right? So say that you and I went and bought a bunch of North Face jackets. We put it up. We threw a sticker on there, you know, and then we removed every other. That's not really the same product. That lasted for a while. Amazon caught that and uh, it, it did. North Face didn't do that. No relation to them. I'm not speaking on their behalf, but I'm just saying I use that example. But, but my sure. point is, is like, you know, we meet, we meet with Amazon, we have good relationships with them. We bring them stuff that is that, Hey, you know, we, we have a serious counterfeit issue here. We need gated, or we're seeing these policy violations. Um, and, you know, I, and then we work with the brand where it's, where it is a distribution issue, a gray market issue. We work with them and help them clean that up. It works it doesn't create risk. I mean, a big part of this is you're a brand is compliance. Like you, you, you don't want to get in trouble with Amazon. You don't want to violate their policies. You don't want to get in trouble with antitrust laws, distribution laws. This is kind of like the tax area. I try to explain to people sometimes, like you got to know what you can do and still be within the bounds of the law. Cause there's laws. Right. I mean, we're opening a, an office in London next month. We're helping people with distribution and all that. There's a whole different set of laws over there. So you got to figure out as a brand, what can I do? And in this new era of e-commerce to control my channels, but still be in compliance with the law and the marketplace's policies.
0: So I didn't be- Yeah, that office? makes sense. Yeah. In, 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 a nutshell, in, in a nutshell, it sounds like you're saying, Amazon don't waste Amazon's time with gimmicks or tricks. Do your homework. Do your part. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded of a story, Whitney. I got a friend who's a shoe dog, real close friend, He'd been selling on Amazon forever. And he knows this, like anyone else in the shoe business, that if 100% of the product is going into the retailer's uh, warehouse, 20 percents is going out the back door. And do you find that brands sometimes create this situation because they're incentivizing the brand? to buy more volume at a lower retail price, but everybody knows in the whole space that 20% is going out the back door and it's gonna end up on Amazon or eBay or something else. How do you address some of those issues and try to get the brand to, you know, shake them by the shoulders a little bit and say, hey, stop doing this thing um, that's feeding this distribution channel. Do you have any specific examples like that?
1: Yeah, so we we learned early on that a key to solving this was building alignment at the organization among the stakeholders like you can't just go in with an e-commerce person and say all right let's fix this alone if the sales team's completely undercutting you right so we d- we developed a, p- a part in the process we basically have strategy foundation enforcement maintenance okay those are our four four pillars in strategy we look at the brand's policies how they're going to market we get a bunch of information and ideally, we want to get the key stakeholders on the phone, someone in sales, someone in executive, the e-commerce person. And we go into them and we explain, here's what's going on with your brand online. Um, here's, what, here's what we're seeing. Here's why control is good. Here's case studies in industry. People have gotten control and why it's good for everybody in your organization. And we, and we, and we bring alignment to the organization that that is good. Then from there, we explain, here's the types of policies you're going to want to, you're going to have to put in place to get the control. And Mm -hmm. to your point, you know, you're not going to want to be in a position where you're incentivizing people to overstuff channels and be in a position where they feel like they have to meet those incentives. So that's where having the executives there and everybody there on board. Then we go out to the enforcement. And then typically what happens is during the enforcement, we'll figure out some of those root cause items. And then you go back and help fix that. So yeah, we'll go back and say, hey look, a lot of your products are coming from this retailer. You need to negotiate with them, maybe a reverse logistics program. So they're not just liquidating all your products and doing that or else you're gonna have this problem online. But you know, frankly, Brilliant. sometimes the pain has to get big enough for the brand to change. You know, we have yeah. we have kind of a line that we use here is you know, someone will come in and we'll just say, they'll come back, their pain will keep growing. You know, like if they say, oh, we're not going to work with you, they usually, okay, now it's gotten big enough. And it'll be some big yeah. retailer will say, our, our distributor, I'm not going to work with you anymore. Like, I, I, I can't sell your products. They're cheap online. The finance person will say, we're getting so many chargebacks from our retailers and distributors um, that, you know, this is killing our profitability. At some point, the pain becomes big enough, and then they, and then the organization gets aligned on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. And uh, you know, Winnie, I should tell you this. I read, I read your book probably four or five times now. It's got like every page dog-eared. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, we, we've been able to help clients with this strategy too. And I've experienced exactly what you're talking about. I talked to him a year ago and said, this is what you need to do. You, you, you know, you know, you need to talk to worries. You need to put together a channel control problem. And then a year later, they're like, I don't need it. And a year later, it's like you said, the pain gets so bad. They remember that crazy guy that was jumping up and down on their desk saying you have to do something and they come back to you. So um, I've, I've witnessed that myself. And what's amazing is just how impactful the business growth can be when a brand who has brand awareness and recognition, not just on the Amazon marketplace, but everywhere, once they come in and control it, it's a really nice bump in their revenue. How many times are you getting thank you cards from clients after they've uh, they've, <laughs> they've taken you've taken care of this problem with them, Whitney?
1: Yeah, it Yeah, we
0: care for them.
1: But sometimes we have a line that we sort of use internally, like what's what's the goal of e control and what like what's our values, what's our culture. And sometimes I just like we'll just like put up like on a slide, just a smiley face, and then I'll put it next to like a lawyer, that, like a lot of, that has <laughs> a hand over their heads, because a lot of lawyers are are can be unhappy people. They they're working all the time. They're sending their clients big bills. The client is like, oh, I got to pay for this litigation or I have to pay for this court, whatever it is. And they're just like, and it just can be a hard, hard job. And I think in e-control has been so much fun because, you know, because you're driving, like you said, so much value for the brand and you're giving them such a high business return. They're usually ecstatic with us. They're happy to recommend. Everyone's happy at the end. You know it's not yeah, you know right. the people are right. so so I, I think a lot of people in our group really enjoy that. They're like it's just so much more fun to go in, solve a big business problem, see them grow. And to your point, like I think by putting those in control in place and then companies like yours come in and, and you throw all your gasoline on the growth, it becomes this amazing combination. you know it's you know, yeah. and that's what you know that's where I've seen. Just brands be ecstatic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Whitney, it, dust off your crystal ball for a second. What do you see coming in twenty twenty three Do you do you see this this channel control problem getting bigger, smaller? If you could look down the road, what do you see coming?
1: A couple of things. I mean i I see. Europe today is sort of like the U.S. five years ago. Like people are getting more and more. Oh, yeah, they're getting they're really more worried about unauthorized sales. They're seeing the problems. They're starting to waken up to the problem. And so I feel like it's about... That's We have one of my partners, Darren Garcia, who speaks on these issues. And he's he's doing... I know, Darren. Yeah, he's, he's great. Fa- he's fantastic. So he's moving his family over there and we're opening an office. And, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's so, great. Yeah, so he'll be speaking everywhere and um, counseling brands and meeting with them and everything, and so that's been a big deal. The other thing is, we uh, we're launching um, in in a few weeks. We're opening up a we're going to be opening up a subsidiary, but then we're launching the Precision E Control platform, and it's basically a platform that, that brands can use to. Uh, do a lot of the actions to control the sales of their products online and then come to Vorys for hard stuff. And I think what, what I'm seeing a lot more and more is people come in, they want to use Voris for foundation enforcement, but then a lot of brands have people in-house that do a lot of the work and want a platform sure. to help manage it, but then only come to Voris when absolutely. So I'm not saying that just as a sales pitch. I mean, to answer your question on that, I just think I think we're going to see a lot. I think this concept of e-control is going to be something that brands manage more and more on their own. And so we have a, we built that we think is the best platform in the business that they can use to do that. And then I love that. Yeah. And then, and it's in the maintenance mode, you know, and then they can do that. And then, and then, and it has like, just, I don't know, all great insights both on Amazon and also with the map, but you know, it's interesting. What I've learned is, like software alone doesn't solve a brand's problem and people don't want to pay a law firm forever. So what they really want is a platform. They want Boris to say, here's how you use it. They want to do most of it as much as they can in house, but then they want Boris to help deal with real complex stuff. You know, And so yeah. that, that's where I yeah. think the, I think the future is going to be a lot of people, you know how it's like, I don't know what the, what Salesforce was for, you know, for people to manage sales sure. or HubSpot was marketing. Yeah. I think there's going to be an e-control platform that these brands use to manage their authorized retailer and distributor, to manage their Amazon channel, to manage their map, you know, and manage eBay, Walmart and they're going to have a platform where they manage all that.
0: You know, oh, I love that Whitney and you know the this, the reason I really love it is because it allows folks that are $100,000 sellers who are just starting out and building a brand to lay the foundation the right way from from the word go who may not have the 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 budget in order to do the full the full suite of your services. So, oh, that is cool. That is great news. Um, yeah,
1: I'm envisioning. I mean, we could come in, do like just the fa- here's some policies, here's some templates, here's the data insights, and then they could you know do a lot of it on their own. And I think, yeah, I think that that allows them to kind of decide: I either want the full managed service, or I can just and and obviously there that's a heck of a lot less expensive than paying for the, yeah. that. So I think. Yeah, I like, I mean, we've seen amazing feedback in the market already. I, I, have never been in the software business, but it is fun because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, I didn't realize, I think the biggest impediment is just, you know, people don't want to, I mean, like I said, they want to pay worries when they need to, but then they, I think a lot of people are just used to doing a software or having someone do the maintenance stuff, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, controlling your destiny on Amazon can seem daunting, But it's possible, and in fact, a necessity to winning in today's e commerce world. Whitney, on behalf of brands and sellers, I want to thank you for being such a warrior in this space, for being so creative and playing such an essential role in helping the brands and sellers that help make Amazon what it is today, helping them to protect themselves as they grow the next billion-dollar brands. Um, Whitney, how can folks get in, get in touch with you or your team if they're if they're having some channel issues and they, they need the best in the business to help them out?
1: Yeah, you can email me, wcgibson at vorys.com. V is in Victor, dot com. And I would be happy to yeah, speak with anybody. Uh, you can also just Google and my name will be on you know Whitney Gibson and you can, my contact information will come up. Feel free to call or email, but happy to happy to talk with uh, anybody.
0: Thank you, Whitney. Thanks again for being on. Thanks for what you do for brands and for, for small businesses. And um, best of luck to you as you uh become a SaaS software tycoon here in the near future. <laughs> we shall see. Thank you so much. If you're ready to start growing and protecting your brand on Amazon with a team of experienced Amazon operators, you can visit us at day2podcast.com. That's day, the number two, podcast.com. Lastly, if you know anyone else who would gain value from this podcast, please share it with them. Thanks for listening and happy selling.